Our scripture reading today is 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Well, we are continuing as a church following the Easter season. We've had our Easter day, but the season continues. And usually that's a season where we reflect on resurrection stories, people encountering uh, God in mysterious places, looking for God in mysterious places, being surprised by God. Uh, And so I thought that it would be meaningful for us to kind of journey together a little bit about what it is to look for God, what it is to to be uh, always looking for God. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks um, in this topic of looking for God. And in order to do that, uh, today's message is a little bit more on that introduction side. It's a little bit more on what are the first steps of that process. Uh, And it's it's a little bit more on the limitations of our pursuits. And so as we get further along in this series, we'll get fuller into um, the more hopeful expectations and visions uh, that maybe we can find in the Bible and in our lives. Uh, But I want to talk about uh, our title about seeing dimly that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. So what is it to look for God and to recognize our own limitations? Because we often aren't upfront about our limitations. Uh, there's a growing number of a category of folks, the spiritual but not religious category. I'm sure you've met people who have probably identified themselves as that. In 2017, uh, Pew Research did a survey and 27% of the people they surveyed said, that's my category. Uh, I'm spiritual but not religious. Some people said they were spiritual and religious. Some said that they were religious and not spiritual. It was all over the place, but over a quarter of people said spiritual but not religious. Now, for some in our room, you maybe have seen less people in that category because if you're over 65 years old, that category was only about 17% of people said spiritual but not religious. But almost every single generation after that, um, everyone below 65 was hovering around about 30% of people saying spiritual but not religious. So almost one out of every three people Um, under 65 would identify that way. And so I think a little bit of what's happening in that mentality is people know they're looking for something greater. They know they're looking for something more, something uh, more essential, something divine, something spiritual, but don't know exactly what that's supposed to look like, don't know that they've seen what that's supposed to look like. They're skeptical, they're suspicious of what... um, organized religion in their own experiences has offered. And so I think there's plenty of people actually still looking for God in the world. And uh, they choose not to, to join into religious communities, including churches. And I think there's plenty of reasons that people sometimes find churches or other communities off-putting on that pursuit. Because like they want to know something about God, but they're finding something that gets in the way. Uh, And if you want to 
look into a church where things are getting in the way, where things aren't going perfectly, the church in Corinth is a good option. Uh, Church kind of baggage and conflicts and fights are not unique to our own present age. Uh, Paul, in the letter to the Corinthians, has a lot of conflicts to deal with. There's kind of divisions of people, whether it was rich and poor within the community, and he's, he's frustrated because they're taking communion and that the rich people can come earlier and they, they're eating all the food before the poor can even get there. He's like, wait on them. Uh, stop taking from the poor. Uh, they're arguing about who's the leader. So I follow Paul or I follow Peter or I follow Apollos and like who's, who's the kind of leader figure that, that they're kind of factioning around. Uh, they're arguing about all sorts of sexuality challenges. Uh, they're arguing about prostitution. Someone celebrating the fact that they married their stepmom. It's a weird... There's some weird stuff going on in this letter. They're, they're addressing uh, issues of separation and divorce. They're, they're addressing worship. We've never had conversations about how worship goes, have we? Uh, they're, they're arguing about how should you dress at worship and uh, gender roles in worship and distractions or things that are helpful at worship. And in the midst of all of that, Paul starts talking about uh, love, about prophecy, about spiritual gifts, about all of these things, and he pauses. And I didn't want us to read the whole 1 Corinthians 13 because we're so ingrained to hearing only the love part of the story that I wanted us to hear this little, this little side note he makes on that topic. Um, but in the midst of divisions, let's talk about love, and then he pauses to give us some awareness about our own limitations. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. I love that Paul uses a metaphor of child development. Um, Sometimes we kind of are so binary of you got it or you don't have it. Um, But there's a maturation process. There's a development process. Uh, We're celebrating another one of those little small milestones for our daughter today of as you get older and the expectations levels, you know, change as you get older. But when we were a kid, we only could think in concrete terms. There's some differing psychology about when exactly kids can start thinking abstractly, but you have to start with very concrete things. And so your faith is very concrete. Uh, it inevitably in our Western tradition has often looked like uh, pictures of a God sitting on a throne in a cloud. Often a male-looking God on a throne on a cloud. Often a white male-looking God on a throne in a cloud. Where there's a lot of overlap with what we want to do with Santa Claus around Christmas time to that kind of picture of God. Of It's a God of morality who's just, he's watching you. He knows when you've been sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. You know, he, it's that kind of God because we need a concrete image. We're trying to teach the morality of choosing right from wrong. Don't do this, do that. And that's perfectly understandable because they're in the concrete phase and what else are you going to share? Like they, we're giving them boundaries and things they need to develop. The challenge is, is when we don't ever investigate that further as we get older, as we mature and 
We face new complications, new mysteries. And so we often are resistant or afraid of uh, or just comfortable in something, and so we don't mature. We don't grow from that childlike thing. And so sometimes we resist it because we're like, no, that's the faith. That's all there is. Don't do anything else. But sometimes we're so resistant because we're afraid of the danger of, what if I take this journey into knowing God's more mysterious than that simple faith I was given? And so we're all in the midst of what is it to grow up in our faith? What is it to mature and to, to grow in our understanding? And I think our challenge is how do we help people become more? How do we help them grow up in their faith and mature in their faith? And I think parents are especially attuned to this challenge as they watch their own kids grow up and they have to think, well, what do I tell my kids about God? How do I simplify this down in a way that they understand? And then how uneasy am I when they start asking questions as they get older? Do you kind of hide from those questions? Do you try to keep them from happening? You know, how do you foster their development? If it's not as parents, it's also as churches of young people. How do you help children transition to adulthood? Not just as children to adults in society, but also in their faith. There was a Barna study about church attendance with millennials. We'll say about, you know, 20s to late 30s kind of age range. And they were trying to do a study on their attendance in worship and... Um, Here's a few things that they found from that study. Only two in 10 Americans under 30 believe attending church is important or worthwhile. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance, believing the church does more harm than good. And millennials are the least likely age group of anyone to attend church by far. Now, part of that data is because Generation Z, the next generation, is probably not old enough to decide for themselves whether they're going to a worship service or not. So we'll see how that pans out. But here's the stat that that I thought is the most challenging for us as a church. 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out. So it's not about that they didn't grow up around it. They were parts of the community and have chosen for themselves, I don't want to be a part of it. And there's something that we're, we're struggling with of how do I transition someone from a childlike faith to an adult maturing faith that they want to be a part of, that they want to engage with, and how do we help them in that transition? Because the pain of that is, is that statistically, over half of our youth group or any youth group uh, will no longer go to church once, it's, once they're old enough to choose for themselves and get out of the house and have a car. And so how do we cultivate a mature spiritual pursuit of God where we don't push people away to ask questions outside but say, no, ask questions here. I, I want to I be a part of that development for you. I want to be there to listen and help you wrestle with new images of God. And I appreciate that Paul is probably more open to the, the challenges of knowing God than we, maybe we ourselves are often open to. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, 
but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, and then I will know fully, even, I, even as I have been fully known. So Paul had been using a metaphor of child development, and he switches to this image about a mirror. So we, we've moved images, and I want to make a quick note about mirrors, because we're used to our mirrors. Maybe you've got a you know, floor-length mirror that you look at yourself when you get ready, Say, okay, I I know I look all right. I know I don't have anything in my teeth. I'm ready to go, whatever it is. But the ancient mirrors weren't like our mirrors. For the most part, we're talking about metal mirrors, maybe copper or bronze. So uh, I think it's an easy enough example, but because so many people are on Facebook, at least these days. But people today, when they take pictures, there's an option to do photo filters, where it's like changes the coloring of your picture or the the sharpness or the contrast, all that kind of thing. Well, everything in that kind of copper or bronzy mirror has got a little bit of a goldish tint to it. Uh, It's not quite in real life reflection. So it's a little bit more obvious when you look in a mirror, you're not looking at the real thing, you're looking at a version of that thing. And so Paul says that, you know, we have this this mirror that we see through. It's, It's reflections of things, it's not the thing itself. And I appreciate that there's uh, a long history that comes from a certain Jesuit uh, theologian, George Tyrell. But someone made a note that they were looking at how historians have tried to understand who Jesus was through the years. That everybody kind of is trying to recreate who he was, what he was like, beyond just what we have in our text. And the insight was that every theologian, probably all of us, ends up being like a person looking down a well. We've got a a painting of a well, if you want to imagine looking down a well. And that eventually we look down that well and we're looking, trying to look back, but what we actually see is a little bit just the reflection of ourselves. And that there's a temptation in that pursuit of God that what you actually are doing is just seeing a mere reflection of yourself and what you want to see in God. So part of our struggle and our challenge on that initial pursuit of finding God is how do I know when I'm just looking and I'm just seeing what I want to see? I'm just seeing the golden uh, version of myself or, or some sort of thing that I'm, I'm just I'm projecting myself out into the world. And so I think we have to be aware of that for ourselves but also for other people that sometimes other people's images of God look a little bit like them And I think that what we can find eventually is that there's a healthy aspect to that. That you can find something meaningful as we go through this series, but there's a danger to only seeing yourself as the only thing in the mirror. And so how do we we look for God when we only look through the reflections of a mirror? And I like that Paul doesn't just say it's a reflection in a mirror, but it's dimly through a mirror. And that's a very interesting word choice. The Greek of that is where we get the word enigma from. So he says we see through a mirror enigma of, it often means in riddles, but sometimes conveys this kind of metaphorical in the dark. Um, So our knowledge is still in the dark, is still in mystery and still in riddles as we know only in part in this current moment. And I think that Paul 
is much more honest about uh, what faith looks like. That faith wasn't certainty of, I absolutely know everything that there is to know about God. I still only know dimly. I still only know in part. I'm still learning who God is in my everyday life. I'm still learning through my experiences. And I feel like too often people are turned off because they've met people who acted like, I got everything figured out. I know every single thing about how the world works and who God is perfectly. And I need you just to accept that, take my whole system, just fully embrace it. And people are just a little bit skeptical of that. Like, you got it all figured out? Because I got a lot of questions, and I don't know how your system can fully handle all of my questions. And so what is it to be like Paul and say, no, we have faith that there's value in what we're doing, there's life in what we're doing, there's hope in what we're doing, but we're going to uphold the fact that we still just know a little bit in part. And he doesn't leave us there, though. It's not just that we only know in part. But there is a hope that eventually you will know God fully. Eventually you will know in full. But being honest and humble enough to say, not quite yet. And I appreciate that Paul ends this passage returning to hope and returning to love. Because uh, it's not just enough to have knowledge. It's, there's a hope and a real encounter. And I love that the, the text says, I will know fully, but I've already been fully known. It's okay that God understands and that I might not understand everything. That God knows me fully, even when I can't fully wrap my hands and my head around who God is. And so, what is to be a community that gives meaningful experiences of God? Being willing to be open and honest about the fact that we are all on this faith journey together, all being surprised by how God moves in our lives, how God moves in the world, uh, and that the God who is continually surprising people in the Bible can continually surprise us, and that our lack of knowledge is sometimes a beautiful thing because we can't even fathom the goodness of God at work in our world around us. So can we have some humility, some honesty, to be able to listen to our neighbors to not be the know-it-alls in those interactions, but say, hey, I, I wanna, I'd love for you to go on this journey with me. I'm learning too. Uh, let's talk about what our experiences are. Let's talk about who, who we see God as. And while we're on that journey, as we look for God in our lives, may we not forget Paul's context of these verses. He reminds us that while knowing things is great, while uh, all sorts of spiritual gifts can be great, the greatest gift of all is love. So while we struggle to make sense of our faith together, that is not reason, that is not a good reason enough uh, to withhold our love. You can love while you don't know and understand something. So can we go on this journey and love with people knowing that we're still figuring things out along that path? but we are going to love continuously because the love will never fail. And so Paul concludes, and now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. So my hope for us is that we would be a loving community, 
in the midst of discernment, in the midst of trying to figure out where God leads us and where God is moving in our personal lives, in our church life, in our city, that people would see the love of us, the love of God through us, as we take the humble road, um, the faith road, not the kind of puffed up certain road where we've got everything figured out. And so with that, I hope that on this journey for the next few weeks, we can talk a little bit more about what it is to look for God, what is it to be surprised, and where can we find God in the midst of our walk. Um, but, with, but with that, I just want us to sit in for a week that we're still limited, that we still don't know fully, and that that's okay because we are loved and we are called to love on that journey. So would you pray with me? God, it's hard to fathom the perfection of love, the perfection of uh, of being the goodness that you are drawing all people into. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to be discerning, that we would care about growing in our walk with you, that we would care about maturing and developing to understand you better, that we would care about the safety and the health of others also on that pursuit to know you even better. I pray that that, that pursuit of knowledge and experience is not a heartless one, but one that is filled with overflowing love, And that when you reveal yourself, we wouldn't look down at those who haven't had those experiences and, and uh, be frustrated and angry with them, but we would love them while they know in part and while we know in part. And Lord, I just ask that anyone that's in this room who's struggling with discernment about what you're asking them to do in life, what, uh, what their next steps are, I just ask that you would give them peace and comfort and direction and wisdom and just the courage to take those next steps even when you don't know where those steps are taking you. But that love would just fill their life and their movement on that journey. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.